Welcome to the Small Scale Life Podcast. I'm your host, Tom. This is Season 1, Episode 15. In this episode, I interview a fascinating man from Montreal, Canada, who inspired me to create two vertical gardens out of rain gutters. His name is Khalid Majuji, otherwise known as The Plant Charmer on Instagram. Khalid grows thousands of pounds of fresh vegetables in his yard using rain gutters and other trellises. In this episode, we talk about his background and beginnings, how he developed vertical gardening techniques using shoe organizers and eventually rain gutters, how he started selling produce, his philosophies and thoughts about big agriculture. We had a great conversation, and I've broken our discussion into a series of podcasts. There's a lot of great information here, and please check out the show notes for links to Khalid's social media, his online academy and classes, and of course his GoFundMe campaign as he tries to expand his operation. Before we get started with the podcast today, I'd like to talk about friends of the Small Scale Life podcast. Our friend Jason Dolan is telling his story as he transitions from an urban, suburban life to starting a homestead in the country. He's doing this on his blog, condo2compound.blogspot.com. In this blog, Jason is taking us on his journey through his thoughts, ideas, plans, and actions. We'll see and learn firsthand as he shares his progress, successes, and failures. So if you're thinking about moving out to the city and starting your own rural home or homestead, check out Jason's story at condotocompound.blogspot.com. Friend number two of the Small Scale Life podcast is Drew Sample and Scott Hebert at thesamplehour.com. Drew and Scott's weekly podcast is all about the successes and failures with their urban farming operations in Canada and Ohio. Their podcast is called Failing Forward, the Profitable Urban Farming Podcast. They discuss what they have completed, what is and isn't working, and what they plan to accomplish over the following week on their urban farms. They talk, they laugh, they sing, and they take their shirts off, whatever they need to do to fail forward and win at life. And finally, we have local author Aaron Clary from CaptainCapitalism.blogspot.com. He has just released a new book titled Reconnaissance Man. In this book, Aaron recommends that young men and women take time after high school to explore the country, find out who they are, where they belong, and what they want out of life. Become a reconnaissance man or woman. It's easier, much more fun, and it's how life was meant to be lived. This book is available on Amazon in paperback and Kindle. Now, without further delay, here is the Small Scale Life Podcast. This is Tom from the Small Scale Life Podcast, and I'm really excited to talk with our guest today. We are talking with Khalid Majuji, who is who's known to many on Instagram and YouTube as the plant charmer. That's why I had to have him on the podcast. Khaled is an urban farmer who uses vertical gardening systems to grow thousands of pounds of produce in Canada. And he's an inspiration for my own vertical gardening systems that I talked about just a week ago on Small Scale Life. So welcome to the show, Khaled. Let's have a conversation. Hey, Tom. Nice, uh, nice to, to be on your show. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for doing this on a Friday night. And you could be out on the town and all that good stuff. But no, we're going to talk about you. Uh, thanks so much for having me. You know, it's good to have to, to be here. Actually, uh, on Friday nights, you know, it's a 
pretty much just another day where tomorrow morning we still got to tend to the crops, so we still go out sometimes, but not tonight. So right, right. You know, it was funny because I saw a uh, a meme that was floating around some of the urban gardeners, and they're like, "Yay, it's Friday! There's only 35 more hours till Sunday." You know, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you're tending to plants, so you know it's like if you're tending to children or whatever, they just don't wait for, uh, oh. or they will wait, but then then they'll punish you for it. So oh, I know, I know, right? It's that's, that's the way pretty it much is. how they roll. Yeah, that's how they do, and they they run the show. We don't. Oh, God, that is so true. I, I totally agree with you on that point. Absolutely. So welcome to Small Scale Life Podcast. And, Thank you so and much. the way we, we do this is we just, you know, you are the star of the show. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you, what what do you want us to know about you? Uh, pretty much, um, I've been into vertical gardening or vertical farming for a few years uh, as you've probably seen, well, that's pretty much where we, we sort of met, which yep. was on Instagram Instagram, and yes. um, YouTube and Facebook as well. But uh, basically what I'm doing is is a research pretty much uh, oriented project as opposed to most people who are producing uh, for sale for pretty much who are building up farms. So, uh, so that's it. I'm the guy who's researching vertical farming in order to turn it efficient and economically viable so that in turn we can actually bring food production back to the city. Uh, that's pretty much the plan. So uh, in doing that, we want to take control of the food system. We want to get outside of the subsidy system, and we want to really make it an industry because it has the potential to be that, but it needed that research in the back or that, that kind of push. So so I'm that guy, I guess. I, you know, I looked at the whole situation. I figured, you know, no one's doing this, and everyone's sort of diving in blind, and there's so much we can do to tweak this or come up with better, you know, the expression in coming up with a better mousetrap. Uh, so that was pretty much the objective. So I figured uh, that was going to be my role. Yeah, I, I, you know, and I appreciate that because, um, like, like I told Brent Haas in my last podcast, and my kids and my wife, they think I'm like the mad scientist in the backyard. I've got these gardens, and I'm renting, so I can't really tear everything. I was yeah. just outside back there saying to my wife, I would bulldoze everything and just plant the <laughs> hell out of it. But um, here I am with feeling? my little raised gardens, and then now I put in the vertical stuff and, and my trellises, and um, and I've got stuff on my driveway, and I'm like the mad experimenter back there too. This is all about experimentation and what what works, what doesn't. And if it fails, yeah, who cares? It's a couple pennies in seeds. And Definitely. We'll figure out I, works, the learning yeah. is so worth it. Yeah. So, uh, so you'll go ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I was, so did you always want to garden and be an urban farmer or was it like, uh, you're going to school and you're hungry. You decided to throw some seeds. In the, I mean, how did, how did you get to where you are? I actually have a, um, you know, I'm 33. I'm 33 years old. So okay. I used to work, and I've worked in the hotel industry for quite a while. I've lived in the Middle East. Uh, I used to have much more of the profile of the guy, you know, in the suit and the tie. And mm. and I'm, I'm I'm by definition a very comp- competitive person. So uh, I sort of thought I would fit in there. I thought I would like it. Or so I stayed in that kind of environment for a little while. And when I was a child, I was always fascinated by nature and mm. being outside and animals and plants and all kinds of stuff like that. So. Uh, that kind of faded away as I went to school, and it sort of went to the on the back burner. And then being dissatisfied with you know my professional life and mm. the way my life was going, because you know when when you hit around you know or you get close to thirty years old, you start realizing that it's not going to be as easy anymore to just turn your life around completely and just change careers or change you know what you're doing. So you start thinking a little harder, mm. and it it sort of resurfaced this whole this this love for nature and. 
this uh this love for good food because I, I love good food as well so i mean i think that's a big part of it too uh the, the motivation to grow all this food but that's it so i figured you know what i want to do something in that field now i started looking around i wasn't that experienced as a gardener i fiddled around a bit on that effort or whatever. So I started putting in a larger garden, uh, same place the word that you see the photos on Instagram, this property I have here in the suburbs of Montreal. And then I quickly realized that it was highly, I mean, all due respect to people who farm uh, in, in a conventional manner or on the ground or, or, or whatever you want to call that. But I figured this is so inefficient. I'm getting half of my produce destroyed by bugs. Uh, weeds are competing like crazy. Uh, and at the end of the day, it's more of theoretical effort than anything real because I'm not harvesting anything. So, mm. and the smaller crops, which are the most expensive in the stores, for example, strawberries and, uh, spring mix and, uh, the herbs and things like that, I started understanding why they were so expensive because they were the first to get destroyed. They were so small and they could not compete on the slightest bit. So I started getting more interested in how can we, how can I get away from these problems without Obviously, and it was never a question in my mind of using pesticides or, or chemicals. Or I was always utterly, uh, pretty much turned off by that. And the whole, sure. you, know, you look at a piece of fruit and it's supposed to be so pure and full of nutrition and sustains life, and all of a sudden you look at it and it's kind of like it's it's like it's death. You know, it's poison. And especially when you you inform yourself and you educate yourself on what really goes on in terms of practices. Oh yeah, absolutely. You wish you hadn't. You know what I mean? You just oh, yeah. wish you hadn't opened. And it's like Pandora's box, which you just can't go back. So, uh, so I figured that's it. If we grow crops uh, off the ground, uh, you know, maybe we'll have a little bit less trouble with the weeds. At least it started with the weeds first. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, I'm a pretty tall guy. You know, I'm six one. So, yeah, yeah. just kneeling down and bending over. You know how it is. It's like Absolutely. one of the first complaints from gardeners. Mm -hmm. So I figured at least it's going to help me with that. And I figured the weeds cannot, you know, grow or spread or whatever as efficiently up there. So it started like this, and uh, at first we had this shoe organizer system. Oh, yeah. So we started with that. I was like, you know, everybody was telling you, no, there's not. That's one of the things you always hear, and you've probably heard it when you were about to build your own. Mm. There's not enough soil in there. It's yes. not deep enough. It's not going to Everyone keeps saying this, but it actually, uh, so that's it. I saw that it was working, and I figured, okay, so it's not awesome, but it can be approved upon. At least they're not dead, and they're producing something. And I started expanding upon that and looking into, you know, the, the various issues I had with the system. Eventually we came up with, uh, with that gutter system and yeah. the A-frames that you've seen quite extensively. Hmm. Uh, and that solved a lot of our issues. When we reached that stage, we realized it was a true uh, commercial potential, uh, because we really didn't lose pretty much. Look, in a regular farm, you're going to lose about what, 15, 20%. Yeah. Uh, well, it depends on the product, really. I don't think it's fair to say 15, 20, but it would range from 5 to uh, 30%, for example, oh, yeah. due to uh, slugs and snails oh, yeah. and Rabbits. will reduce your yield. <laughs> well, exactly. So at the end of the day, and, and labor is a huge issue. You don't, mm. you cannot find labor in America. No, it's not can't. a matter of want to hire people. There's no labor. Nobody wants to do this. So it just becomes a system, in my view, which had these benefits of being more attractive to the worker, the laborer, or whoever wants to do that for a living. If you have a backyard like I do and you want to do this, it just becomes possible for people who don't want or cannot uh, bend over so much, do not have the space. Uh, and let's face it, man, unless you are using pesticides and herbicides on the ground, you will not win the battle against weeds unless you're weeding by hand. Right. So and at that for, point... For 
for larger systems, that's really tough. I know, you know, exactly. uh, another Canadian, Curtis Stone, and 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 another one, Jean Martin Fortier. They use a lot of tarps, you mm-hmm. know, and they tarp off stuff, and they're flame yep. weeding. But yeah, that's a constant battle, and that's it why is. I did not get it. I hated gardening because when I was a kid. I was sent out to weed and it was, it was like oh. torture because they had, they just tilled up a plot and, and planted stuff. And here I am out there picking weed. Oh, it was terrible. Yeah. Just because the thing is, you know, what's so bad about picking weeds is that you're not producing anything. Yeah, you are producing because you're helping plant have less competition, all that. But right. You're not really putting in any productive work. It's not like you're planting a seed, which is going to grow into something edible later on or something that helps the bees or something that just adds to the whole the whole picture. Right. So no, you're just there and fighting off this weed which absolutely wants to be there. Oh yeah. And you're trying to kill it off, but nature wants it to be there. So it just keeps coming back. And you're fighting and fighting. So I figured how can you let the weeds do what they want mm-hmm. and not even uh, bother with them anymore and yet still have our crops. We figured we'll put them on two different planes. So one of them is going to be on the ground and the other one's going to be on the vertical plane. Uh, and by doing this, uh, that's it. We were able to increase density like crazy. Yeah. Uh, uh, so the per square foot, uh, the per square foot yield or production we get is through the roof, literally. And uh, so that's it. We were able to capitalize on all these benefits. And going in the gutter system has allowed us to see into a larger possibility to expand and make this a bigger operation, uh, which is where we're at right now. And we're starting to figure out that this may be the solution we're looking for. So instead yeah. of everything on the ground and struggling and uh, not being able to grow it where we eat it, we can turn to a system like this and produce what we need uh, by farmers who are decently paid. And I mean, it's just benefit after benefit. Yeah, totally. So so I sort of kind of stuck on that idea and I figured, all right, that's awesome, but it still needs to be tweaked and improved constantly. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's it. So we're doing that and we're posting pictures uh, I think we've reached a level where we're, you know, we could call it a semi-mature system. Oh yeah, so I think spreading it out there and uh, and people like you are picking it up, and that's awesome. That's what we want. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, it's, uh, I sell for profit. I'm not hiding that from anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, donate a lot as well. Uh, the research I do uh, has the purpose of developing these systems, which allow large-scale production. But I'm not keeping the data for myself or anything like that. So I'm just putting it out there, and I don't care really because you know what, Tom, there's so much work to be done. Uh, even if I wanted, I could never do it in 10 lives oh, yeah, by myself. Yep. So you yep. know what? I'm happy other people pick it up. It just raises awareness. It increases demand. It just gets the whole snowball effect going. And at the end of the day, I think we can all, you know, feed ourselves properly in the, in the 21st century. Oh yeah. No, I get really jazzed. I mean, there is so much to talk about, you know, and, and I, I mean, I was, how long did I watch you? Probably for a year, year and a half. Um, I've been watching you, and I just decided, you know what? This year I'm doing it. I got to do it. This guy is growing so much stuff. I've got to try it. And and really, it clicked for me because I've got gutters on this house that I'm running, and uh, we've got a large sugar maple in the freight front yard. And every year, twice a year, they send a guy out, and he has to clean out the gutters because I've got maple trees growing, and they get to be six 
inches oh, tall yeah. in the gutters, you know. Cause, they own compost with the leaves, right? Right, exactly. Leaves and the propeller guys, and, and they just start to grow. And so I was like, you know what? If the if the maple trees can grow in here, I can grow some basil or whatever in, in mm-hmm. the gutters, and that will work. I know it can work because I'm watching this guy up in Canada do it. It's crazy, and, and uh, it's pretty amazing. Now, for all my followers and people on iTunes that are picking this up for the first time, um, what he's talking about with the shoe organizer, he goes – Talk, tell us about the shoe organizer uh, system. All right. yeah. it, it's pretty cool. You know what you guys are going to like? And I think a lot of people pick up on my stuff because of that. It's because it's very easy to understand. It's usually things you find or items you already know. And it's sort of the way I design also, by the way. So I'm going to go walk at Home Depot and pick up items that have nothing to do with gardening. And I try to look at them from that angle where you can, you know, can I use this for, because, you know, if I sell you something, a tool for gardening, and I tell you, Tom, it's a tool for gardening, then I'm going to charge you 50 bucks. But if it's made for plumbing, and it's a tool that's worthless, and these people don't realize the value it has for gardening purposes, they're going to sell it to you for $11. So this is sort of how I came up with the idea of the gutters, by the way. My phone's talking about, the other line, so. Yeah, yeah, no, that's okay. We were talking about uh, the shoe uh, the shoe system. Oh, yeah, so okay, you're you using practical food. items. You're using very practical items to grow food, and this is a shoe organizer. I mean, it's something you can pick up at Walmart for, for pretty cheap. Right. And, and you, that's what you're using to grow food. So the shoe organizer, that's it. So I was looking for something that was uh, not only because I wanted others to be able to do it, but I wanted it to be simple for me to actually put this idea to practice. Uh, because I think we have a large, large issue with the Internet, which is there's a lot of content. But that leads to a lot of passivity in terms of mm-hmm. execution is very so a lot of people see a lot of ideas or you are going to repeat information they've seen, but trying it out for yourself, there's nothing like it. So I wanted to be able to start that very summer. So I went to Walmart and I, I spotted these uh, these over-the-door shoe organizers. Yep. It was this brand called Mainstays. I don't know if you guys have it in the U.S., but probably. Anyway, all, any brand really you know, is okay yep. as long as it has some basic uh, characteristics that you want. But anyway, so I bought these and I started building that first strawberry fence and the girls at Walmart were going crazy. They were like, how many shoes do you have, dude? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I would come and I would empty the entire rack and there was like oh 14 of them that we so keep ordering more because you know they're, it's quite interesting that their um, inventory system actually tracks, you know, items which are hot, you know, which are sellers. So this guy started becoming a big seller at my local Walmart. Because of me, I was the only one buying it. So they started every week, there would be like 14 and then 17 and then 20 and then 22, and they'd keep bringing more and more. So I thought that was quite funny. So I took that, I tried it out. It was like, in a way, it was a complete waste of money because I bought so many of them, but it was just finding out if it would work. Sure. So I would have never gotten to step two if I didn't get the confidence from trying that out and seeing it work. So yeah. Uh, so that's it. In a way, it, it played its role. It's never going to become a commercial system like the gutter systems I use, but it definitely played its role in being the the precursor, if you will, or the catalyst to uh, to something uh, something better. Right. So so that was your first system. Are you still using those? Are you still no. doing? Working? No, they're okay. They're tucked under my deck. I have about sixty-seven of them left. <laughs> which I'm <laughs> do with them. You know, someone in Montreal who wants them. You know. Hello, guys. I'll pick them up. But no, really, they're under my deck. It's, uh, I'll give them out to somebody who finds something to do with them at some point. But think about it. I mean, if you're living in an apartment or a condo and you have just a, um, a, a balcony with some sun exposure, you could put one of those up and grow a ton of lettuce, you know? If you're uh, living in a really tight space, because the gutter system is good, but you really need to have a little bit of yard space at least. Mm-hmm. So, Or a really balcony, like a rooftop terrace or something like that. But 
otherwise, yeah, that system is really good for super tight spaces. So yeah. uh, I have you know, lucky here. I'm really blessed to have this. Uh, it's not. It's nothing. I mean, it's really tiny. We'll talk about it later. I know you want. You had some questions on that, but oh, yeah. the piece of land here is really tiny. But I'm really happy to have it. At least I had it to run this research. So, uh, but a lot of people have just a balcony. So yeah, definitely, it's something to uh, something to consider. Sure, sure. So, so you you started with the shoe organizers, and you figured out how did you figure out gutters? I mean, there was some point where you're like, man, that'll work. Why don't I use that? And what, what told you gutters what would work? What we're looking for was a channel. That was cheap, affordable, uh, that would last for a long time. Basically, what I was looking for was a row. Yes. But I wanted it to float in the air. Mm. So it needed some kind of wrapping around. So I figured, you know what, like what looks like that? So you have Crop King and companies like that, which have, uh, you've probably seen or heard of them. They sell these, uh, kind of greenhouse kits and they sell you the, uh, ah. the NFT system. The, it's NFT just for those who are not familiar with that is nutrient film technique. It's, it's pretty much these, uh, these, these trials where you have like the, they look like gutters, but they're covered on top. And you uh, see them in high-speed hop operations sometimes. Mm-hmm. They'll tell you these channels work, and it's hydro. Now I had grown with uh, cocoa uh, fiber before, ProMix, which are semi-hydro. So I figured it, it could work in a small space like this. So we just figured these guys are too expensive because you know what we talked about before—that eleven-dollar plumber tool oh, that yeah. you can use. $50 gardening tool, for example. So yep. I kind of replicated that same principle there. Mm-hmm. So I went and sort of looked for something that was not made by Crop King or any of these companies, but that could serve a similar purpose. Uh, I came across rain gutters, so which are long, they're cheap, they're super durable, they're oh, made yeah. to be outdoors, uh, they're made to uh, sustain you know, UV rays and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are available everywhere in the world because if you're trying to get people to do something worldwide, then you need to uh, instruct them to use a material that they can find locally, right? Perfect. So, yes. uh, so that was kind of part of it as well. We were quite happy about that. So, uh, and that's it. So we went ahead. I uh, I partnered up with somebody I was working for uh, with before in the hotel business, and we started that out. We oh, ordered. Yeah. So yeah, that's it. So we uh, we started testing out, and then after that, we saw that it worked. We ordered more gutters. And this is kind of how Ingenious Farms was born. Yeah, yeah, that's really smart. And, um, you know, I was, for the longest time, I was kind of stalling out because I really wanted the story. Well, I'm repurposing gutters that were taken off of blah, blah, blah's house. But then I was like, you know what? I just need to get this going. So I went to the store and it was here in the U.S. They're like three, almost four bucks, you know, cheap, cheap, cheap. cheap. You guys are lucky. Yeah, right. So just go get that stuff, man. Get it going, you know? I mean, you know, what something going, in my opinion, is just your your general motivation as a person. It's rarely uh, financial limitations or things that people generally, I don't want to say use as excuses, but in a way it is excuses because generally speaking, if you want something really, really bad, think of something you've wanted so badly that you've done something irrational to get, like spend money you needed to pay a bill, I don't know, next week. Everyone's done that at least once. Oh, yeah. But that oh, just... Yeah show power of motivation mm-hmm. so when you want just a matter of putting your mind to it and just saying okay the pieces i need are this this and this it's going to take two trips but it's really going to take four because it never goes as planned <laughs> but it's okay that's really how it is so but at a point your motivation is going to be the general driver yeah. of what you do or don't do i mean in farming i think or anything else in life so you know getting i have this thing where i'm sitting on the couch sometimes watching tv or whatever and i'm like all right i have this thing to, to do so i'm getting up in three two and when I say one, my hands are already pushing my body up and I'm suffering <laughs> and I'm in pain, my friend. And you know what? I push my 
fuck anyway. And 99 times out of 100, it works. Yeah, I know. So, 100, I just collapse there and I fall asleep. But, <laughs> but yeah, you know what I mean? I appreciate that. I totally do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to be honest, no one's perfect, and I'm not uh, at all. I'm a human being like everybody else, but I try to understand my own limitations and yep. get beyond them because I think that's how you grow when you you start growing outside of your own box yeah. and start doing things that you uncomfortable and doing things that need to be done versus what you feel like doing all the time. And that's it. So, like you experienced yourself, I mean, you know, you you got up, you done what you had to do, and uh, I think now you have a whole lot of basil to deal with. Oh my God! Well, I already dealt with that crop. Now it's it's starting to. I was just out there, and I and I did a little. Uh, we'll talk about Instagram in a minute. The changes to Instagram because you're the you're like the Instagram king in my world. But um, you <laughs> know, I just did a quick video, and I you know this stuff is growing again. It's like oh my gosh, I got to get ready for more basil. So. <laughs> Oh yeah. So so okay. So you started doing all of this, and suddenly you realized, oh my god, I've got so much produce. How am I going to get rid of it? How did right. you, how did so? Let's talk about the urban farming commercial side. How did you f- figure out who to sell to? I mean, how did you figure out your customers? How did you figure out the business side? You know what? When I first started, it's. It's a bit different from, let's say, opening a convenience store because you're going to go there. Yes, it's stressful. Yes, it's a business, and you should treat it seriously. But, I mean, you know you're going to order your products from Coca-Cola, for example, and they're going to come in a bottle, and the product side is already taken care of for you. But when you just start commercially, I mean, when you're gardening, you're super happy to have a few products and stuff. But when you're growing for others, you get this whole other level of consciousness, consciousness sorry, which creeps upon you and just tells you, oh, is this commercial quality? Is this commercial mm-hmm. grade? Can I sell this to someone? Do you know what I mean? And then yep. it just starts, the self-doubting starts creeping up on you. And oh, you yeah. start being, uh, it, it's really a challenge to your self-confidence. And mm-hmm. unless you're like a superstar gardener from day one, you will have these failures, which will shake your confidence further. So at some point, you're not sure you're ever ready to start selling. Mm-hmm. So uh, I figured, you know, in the beginning, I was like, okay, I was giving out, get out to, um, sorry, giving it out to uh, friends of my mother friends that would come over and things like that you know kind of shy a bit and then as i gained experience and i started producing more it really became a a real problem like there was too much bit and i started realizing that you know what i go to the uh, grocery store and their quality is lower than mine i started realizing that my way of seeing things was not rational Mm. so i was like okay i'm freaking out but this is like top stuff and so i started getting more confident and i started selling it that was um three years internet and you're sort of shy to think and i think it's sort of what paralyzes a lot of people and you know who want to go in farming or otherwise who right. do something that is unconventional they're afraid of what other people are going to think true and true. what their family their friends and all this peer pressure which i've lived through like you wouldn't believe in my own mm-hmm. family would tell me like why don't you get a real job I was like, <laughs> i'm trying to change the world and they were like yeah whatever so <laughs> and you still got what's that uh, that's funny because i'm um Oh, Jules going to kill me, but my wife is like, you don't want to be a farmer, do you? You don't want to do that, do you? I mean, you've got this other job, and it's right. like, mm, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so I'm sure, I'm sure when she listens to this podcast, she's going to say, oh, Tom, you did it again. <laughs> she's a nice lady. So she is. She's guys. great. She's fantastic. Oh, I'm sure she is. And if she's listening, you know what? Trust me on that. You can make a lot of money in farming, a lot more than you've ever imagined. Like any business, if it's configured intelligently and done correctly, there is, it's pretty much the largest opportunity of our era. Because if you look, manufacturing is gone. It's not going to come back, right? I think we all agree on that. 
Yep. Uh, financial services is not an industry. I think we all agree on that, except the guys on Wall Street. Agreed. So at the end of the day, who's going to feed America? That's the mm-hmm. real question. Mm-hmm. So if you can go out and do that in an intelligent way where your labor is low and your margins are high, well, you know, it's the natural law of profit. So you don't have to be poor to be a farmer. And that's one of the main things I'm trying to shake off. Yeah, uh, It has to be done correctly and smartly, but it's not a a guarantee you're going to be poor or you're going to eat, you know, I don't know, like bread and dry bread and, and water for the rest of your life. And But it <laughs> does have this image yeah. uh, about it. And it does add to the pressure if you want to get in this business because people will tell you not only do you want to go do something completely different from what you are known to do well or have a job or experience in, but on top of that, you didn't choose to become an astronaut or a lawyer or a doctor. You chose to become a farmer, mm-hmm. which is – and that's one of the main problems, I think, in our societies. We we relegate the people who take care of our health which is the most important thing, to the fringes of society. So if you're a farmer, you must be stupid or you must be oh, yeah. dumb. You know what I mean? Like, this yes. is completely crazy. No, that's totally true. And, we, you know, I've got two college-age boys, and we've been talking to them about, you know, college and do you go to college and pick up $100,000 worth of debt or do you do another different route? Maybe there's a different way to do this stuff. There's so many ways to make yep. a life now, and especially yep. with the Internet and the power of um, – you've got apps that – you can be a rock star and not have a degree and not have all this debt. And you can do different things. You don't have to do this traditional path. Absolutely. Everything is blown up. And, and you're right. I mean, this, the urban farming thing, um, the whole trend and, and, you know, Drew Sample, uh, Scott Heber, Curtis Stone, Jean-Martin Fortier, yourself. I mean, these people are doing it. You know, you guys are doing it. Yeah, you're not getting rich today, but you are making a serious impact and you're making enough for you, you and your family and you're eating well. And, um, you know, it's really, it, there, if you can figure out, there's other income streams that you can be had for it. And we'll talk mm-hmm. about that as we get to it. But, you know, there's a lot of, there's a whole world out there. This really is. Oh, definitely, definitely. The Internet has opened. Look, the Internet has pretty much democratized access to being an entrepreneur, whatever you like to do, Mm -hmm. but it has also increased the threshold of competition. Oh, yes. That means that if you really, really want, now you have an an in, which you did not have before unless you had special contacts or connections or or whatever. You would never have access to an audience in any way. So, yeah, definitely, if you're creative – uh, I have a lot of friends who have tried stuff on the internet and had blogs and things like that, and uh, they didn't persist and just they just dropped out at some point. And uh, it's like anything else; people think it's like the the, the club that you know they're going to go there and it's just a million dollars going to fall oh, on no. them. Uh, the internet is full of people, but in a way, it's it's kind of like social networks. You know, people go there and they just start advertising right away. Like and the first picture is an advertisement or mm-hmm. things like that. I mean. You cannot advertise or sell anything to people who don't trust you. So right. they don't even know who you are. So you have to build up and, you know, get, provide value to people all the time so that they see the, the point in consuming your content. I mean, mm-hmm. strictly from a pen and paper perspective. Uh, so, but yeah, it's like anything else. It's, it's opening access, but it's making it more competitive. Oh, absolutely. So, so, okay. So you've had, you started to figure out, I can, you got confidence. You said mm-hmm. my product is good. And I've got, you know, I'm giving it away or selling it to friends and family. So now are you selling to, like, restaurants and stores yep. and other places? So and You know how I did this transition? It's okay. actually quite, it's actually a pretty cool story because uh, now, you know, like, I so I start selling, you know, to friends, whatever, family. I get a little less shy, right? Mm-hmm. So fast forward one year. So my skills keep, you know, I keep uh, going up, if you will, and I keep 
uh, becoming more experienced in that system. So the end result is I'm getting so much more food, like three times more again than the previous <laughs> year. So at that point, my friends are not enough anymore. Right, so right. So it's just like so much I got to get out of there in the market. But I'm like stuck in this position where, again, it's not a real farm because it's, you know, small and all this. So after debating with myself and having these internal dilemmas for about yep. a week or so, I just said, you know what, man? I don't, I'm not even going to think about this. I just, I used to own a candy store before. So I still oh. have this sign where you write with it. It's like a chalkboard. Yeah. It's yeah. like this sign, like A-frame. It's an A-frame shaped actually sign. Yep. And I just put it out there on the yard and I said, local vegetables for sale and my phone number. And I just closed my eyes and I got into a, I rolled into a ball in the corner and I said, you know what? Now I'm, I'm I can die. So, <laughs> and you know what happened? Everybody started calling. Really? It was like instant. The very first day, I think I got seven coins. What? And, oh, you don't understand the power of this stuff until you try selling it to someone. Believe oh, yeah. me. Oh, people don't understand. They think, oh, this is ridiculous. You know, I'm not selling iPads. It doesn't matter. They don't want iPads. They want good food, huh. awesome food. And so, I realized the power of it, and I was like in awe. So it, was wasn't, like, it wasn't Craigslist. It wasn't, uh-uh. I'm going out. I tried, by the way. Yeah. I tried Craigslist. You know, when you still want to hide behind the veil, you know, yeah. and not really get out there and tell people, yeah, this is what I do, and I'm proud of it, and it's going to work. And you look them straight in the eye when you say that. Until you're ready to do this, you're going to hide behind Craigslist and Kijiji. Or, well, it's a, you don't have that there, but it's a local site here, sure, sure, sure. Uh, which is the equivalent of Craigslist. It's pretty large, actually. So one of those uh, where you can actually not put yourself out there and not face somebody telling you, well, what is this? Why don't you get a real job, right? Because at some <laughs> point, it starts becoming like one of those PTSD things yeah, where man. you start feeling like you're traumatized, so you don't want to hear it anymore. Uh, but that's it. So it wasn't that. It was just putting a sign. Now, look. For uh disclaimer, I live on a boulevard which has a lot of cars that pass by. Yes. Uh, there's a, a uh, an exit to a highway close to me. Ah, okay. Uh, so I'm not in Montreal, though. I'm in a suburb city of 400,000 people. So it's not like I'm, you know, there's not millions of people. But anywhere that you put it, look, I my production cannot match demand. Now that I have a reputation as a good producer and all that, and people have bought from me for a while, now people trust me because it's very important. They will be wary until they've bought a few times from you, and they're sure you're not using chemicals, and they see your attitude that matches the attitude of someone who does not use chemicals as well. So uh, you can tell by someone, you know, by someone's personality, if they have integrity, or if you think they're going to be, you know, the kind of people who do X, Y, or Z. But after that, once you've passed that threshold, even if you're in a a small city, uh, you won't be able to supply them. <laughs> they're going to come in droves and they're going to invite their family over for dinner and they're going to cook your food and they're going to say, wow, these veggies taste wonderful. Where did you get them? Well, I got them at Ingenious Farms. What? Where's that place? And they start calling you and it really is a snowball. Uh, but hang on. I got to tell you something about that, though. The reason why it's so popular is because our prices are unbeatable. Oh. And the reason why our prices are unbeatable, I think you know why. Because we are just so much lower in terms of production cost. Mm-hmm. So that is the ultimate benefit of what we do. That is the, the finality of is getting the product at a lower production price than anyone else in the market, including the conventional growers. So, uh, yeah, so that's what? why. So that's I get the, there. That's the story. I'm just trying to absorb all that. I mean, that's... Uh... Well, that's the part that's difficult to convey through Instagram and through yeah. the internet because a lot of people think it's just cute gardening. I had somebody who commented on one of my photos today actually was telling me, well, suddenly you just went because I was putting the, uh, I was promoting the, uh, the, U- the sorry, the uh, GoFundMe campaign that I'm doing yeah. to, yeah. Uh, to try to raise, uh, raise funds, sorry, to open that farm. 
So, and somebody was telling me what you just went from backyard hobbyist to commercial all of a sudden. I was like, whoa, dude, where have you been the last five years? <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay, I happen, it happens to be in my backyard. You get that part right. But as for the rest, I was never, I consult on crazy projects. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've done, I have another guy now that I need to, to do a consultancy with this week. And basically, we've been, uh, we've been working on lowering the cost through lower labor, through a higher density, through less loss, through no weed competition, all these things, through the, the pesticides, I don't have to buy yeah, because right. there's an economic aspect to the, the the chemicals as well. I mean, you have to pay for them. They're expensive. They're very oh, yeah. Expensive. You got to pay the guy to spray it and you got to, you know, all of that adds up in your balance sheet. So I have, I took the balance sheet and I stripped it naked pretty much. Wow. And everything that didn't have to belong there does not go there. We know how many seconds precisely it takes to harvest a pound of strawberries us versus the industry. So I'm not competing against the urban farmers of right now or what I'm really trying to do, which we've done actually at this point, is to create a product that is 10 times better and really much cheaper to create. In this way, we'll be able to control food uh, prices. Otherwise, it's always going to continue spiking and rising. And I don't. there's no end in sight. Oh, that's tr- and that's true because if you go to the grocery store right now, I mean, just look at the price of meat. Or oh. any produce, it's it's going through the roof. It's just oh, crazy yeah. expensive. It's you know? crazy, and yeah. the part that you don't see reflected in the price tag is the fact that when you start using pesticides, you remember when we talked about the weeds before who yep. want to be there, yep. and they're stronger than you. They are, and I think I'm a super super awesome gardener. You know what, Tom? But they're still stronger than me. Oh yeah, they are. <laughs> Old enough to recognize that, and this is how this is the difference between being stubborn and smart in my world. There <laughs> are things which are which you have real limitations in the face of, and that is one of them. So instead of uh, the weeds, you know what they do when you start spraying them? They adapt. They do, and they become more resistant. Yes, and you you do if you don't do, know how to do anything else, you spray more. Yep, and more and more and more and more, and these are exponential numbers. Every five years, I guarantee you, it's gone up exponentially. I'm not yeah. even exaggerating. So this is, it's gone to a point where it's beyond disgusting. Well, and so, and, and you've watched the industry, the farming industry and gardening industry. I mean, there are super weeds out there. You can shoot shoot Roundup at the stuff and yeah. it laughs at you. I mean, it's yeah. it's gotten resistant to that kind of stuff. So where is the technology now? I mean, you, yeah. you will not, the first thing you need to understand when producing food is that food is a gift from nature to us. Mm. We are sub. We are in the hierarchy. We are under nature. We are not above it. Hmm. So it provides and it doesn't for care. us. <laughs> it doesn't it care. It's just going to do what it's going to do. It phase us out if we eventually. I mean, I'm not saying tomorrow or whatever, but you start seeing the global warming. You start seeing the tsunamis that happen more and more. You start seeing nature getting more violent with us, the weather turning on us. You see the crops getting destroyed, the super weeds. And these are all signs that nature is saying, you're not going to win. I was there before you. I'm going to be there after you. And there will come another kind of you, uh, beings which look like you and behave like you. And if they do the same thing, I'll get rid of them too. <laughs> so it, once you start realizing that, you stop trying to fight it. Yeah. And you start trying to work with it. So it sounds like a hippie line, by the way. A lot of people tell you, yeah, you got to work with nature. But you really have to. You really do. The, and, yeah. and, and that's, you know, the, you look at like... Uh, uh, Jeff Lawton and, and the permaculturists—that's what they're trying to do. Work with the contours of the land. Work with what you've got. You know, try to use the rainwater. Try to use the resources available to you instead of I'm just gonna I'm just gonna till this sucker and and it, I'm gonna make it do what I want it to do. They kind of they're working. Necessary. 
So it's, uh, yeah, and it is, look, in the era we live in where prices are out of control, mm-hmm. this just adds to the bottom line in terms of pricing. So, I mean, somebody's got to pay these inputs. The guy, when he passes two times with the pesticides, he gets paid twice, right? Yeah. So at the end of the day, where does it end? When you ask these people, it's funny because sometimes I do visit farms on my own, or I visit places, and I get patronized, Tom, because they don't know, well, I'm not going to say who I am because I'm nobody but they don't know what I do or what I know about farming. Yep. And they talk to me like I'm a six-year-old child who they can pretty much, you know, pass off any lie to. And they tell me, no, it's impossible. Nothing can be done and this and that. And we shoot because we have no no, um, no other alternative. And at the end of the day, I mean, okay, fine. Even if you don't know, I can't hold you accountable for that. Or, you know, I'm not going to hold you uh, or, you know, get mad at you for that. But where does it end? Yep. Really, that's my question. Like, okay, it's, it's happening. You can't do nothing about it, but we're, we're dying because of it. Or people are getting cancer, and it's disgusting. So what's the solution? And yeah. no one has a solution. It's like, no. okay, let's pray more. Let's come up with a new molecule that's going, that it's going to kill that. And, you know, or we're going to do cocktails, mix all kinds of chemicals together. And it's always more chemicals and more mm-hmm. destruction and killing. And at the end of the day, look, you look at what I do here. I wish you could come and see it for yourself. There are actually people. Oh, follow me on Instagram, yep. who have come this week, and they were like, uh, their jaws were to the ground. They're like, no way, man. This is it. Well, and I, nature, we're working together. It's awesome. I'm getting, like, bushel after bushel after bushel. And my, my neighbors think I have, like, a 50-acre farm. They're like, where do you get all this food out of? Well, and that's and that's where we'll go next. But um, just to, to finish up that conversation, um, yeah, I've got I've talked to some folks in big ag, and they're they're talking about you know, oh, I've got a field of alfalfa ready, and it's it's Roundup ready, they call it, and they're gonna just dump Roundup on it to kill all the thistle and the other stuff because you know the beef or whatever the 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 livestock doesn't want to eat anything but pure alfalfa. And I'm just, and they got mad at me when I started talking about urban farming and organic farming and just got really upset. And it's like, wow, really? You're, you're that, you're that worried about, uh, what, what you're doing or, uh, drew sample or these other guys you're that worried that your margin is going to be cut that bad. Wow. There must not be much profit in that big ag stuff. There isn't. There isn't. You know what, Tom? If you look at their figures, I'm not sure if you're familiar with their finance, uh, their financials, but it's um, how could I say this? No one in their right mind will take two millions of dollars of debt load oh, in God. order to make to clear fifteen thousand dollars or oh. thirty-five or even a hundred thousand a year. I mean, who's going to do that? That's a crazy yield. Uh, it's crazy, like crazy low. So at the end of the day, you have all this machinery and all this risk, uh, and at the end of the day, you also rely on one buyer. So all this system is like, at a point, I understand there's limitations. There's people who try to corner the market in order to mm-hmm. enslave you into or whatever you want to call it, producing it cheap for them. But personally, I'm one of those stubborn people who are going to say, you know what, I'm going to let the crop rot and you won't have any of it. Yeah. And I'm going to turn around and I'm going to eat grass for three years until I figure something out. And I understand these people don't want to do that. But look, you have a large farm, which yep. I dream of having. It's impossible for me to get. But a lot of people have very large farms. Just put aside a parcel. Yep. Make trials there. You know, Try. Yeah. Try things. And once you try things like I've done before, you realize that most, most of the info out there is pretty bad and it's not based on anything. And you start doing more and more tests, and you realize more and more of these things are not true. Yes. So uh, do your own thing. Make your own tests. You know, get yourself out of that hole on your own. It's not the people you sell your corn to who are suddenly going to offer to give you four times more money for your field or for your uh, your crop. Sorry, these people. Their game is to actually buy low from you and corner you. 
Yes. So there's one, I mean, worst situation is uh, in fresh produce is even much worse than grain because grains you can actually store. Mm-hmm. Uh, but fresh produce, forget it. The guy comes from, I don't know, from uh, uh, what do you have there as large chains? I forgot what you oh, guys gosh. have. Like, uh, well, here it's Cub Foods or Roundies or, you know, some of those. Uh, like, let's say even Walmart, the guy. Walmart. Let's say that Walmart is a prime yeah. example. Exactly. They come to see you at the farm and they say, okay, you know, you got a million lettuces. Uh, we'll give you 20 cents for that, but your cost to produce them is like 21 cents. So they know exactly pretty much how much it's going to cost you, and they're really undercutting you just slightly. Oh, yeah. And just enough so you can actually survive to give them another crop later, but you can absorb the debt somehow. Uh, and then that's it. They corner you in that position. You you have a contract signed with them, so uh, they offer you 20 cents. Then at, the, at that point, you have no choice because lettuce, you know what, my friend? It lasts three days. Yes. Or if you want to yeah. put it in the fridge, you can stretch it out to 10 days or whatever, but it's pretty quick. Yep. Which is my point. So they know that. So they're going to come and they say, okay, you know what? You don't like my price. Well, you have until uh, next week to accept it. At the end of the day, when you have bills to pay, you got to put fuel in those tractors. Right. You got to pay the mortgage. So it's kind of a never ending infernal cycle of debt, uh, bad prices, debt, bad revenue. Uh, the crop is worth nothing. Or they come. So that's the best, you know, best case scenario, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes what they'll also do is you'll send four pallets of salad and they'll just open the first case. And they'll decide that they don't like the first one they see, and they'll turn around and send you right back the whole pallet. Wow. Oh, yeah. And like it's candy that you can store, you know. They don't yeah. care. That's the thing. It's the only industry where the price is set by the buyer. Mm. Well, and, and, and you know, we've um, out by some cousins out west of the Twin Cities of Minneapolis here. They uh, mm-hmm. they harvested uh, uh, potatoes last year, and it's McDonald's that was, they were getting potatoes for fries. And they had spe- specifications on the potato, anything that was too small or too big. Mm-hmm. That's left to rot in the field. So, you know, people like you and me, we could go out and pick all the potatoes we wanted because McDonald's yeah. rejected all those. And and that goes on all over the industry where stuff is just rotting out there. Because yeah. Right. But you know what? It's quite interesting you're saying that because I I do what I do because I love farming, but I have an end goal in mind. It's mm-hmm. like what I like to call my master plan or oh, whatever. Master plan. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's got to lead to something else, right? So right. we got to keep kind of climbing up that stair and see what's next and try to do better things and better things and hopefully, you know, do good things for humanity as well because I think that's going to be a, uh, uh, you know, something that's going to define our generation as well. Uh, people who have seen things and have grown up kind of, you know, halfway in between the old system and new way of seeing yeah. things. But we really realize that it's toxic for us. So, but coming back to what you were saying, uh, these people, you will never convince them to actually not leave these potatoes to rot in the field or, so the best way to actually, uh, make sure food doesn't rot is that we produce it at a much higher margin. And that's the point. We just phase them out pretty yeah. much. And yeah. we don't have anything on the field. That's it. I sell it direct to my clients. They're happy to have all potato sizes I have. I never get a complaint, and they're just so grateful that it's chemical-free, that it's good for them. It's fertilized with uh, organic certified chicken manure. Like We'll probably talk about that later, but that's one of the keys, uh, the key elements that makes my system work so well. But they know that at the end of the day, appearances are nothing when it comes to these foods. It doesn't look rotten. It doesn't look like anything bad. Uh, if a cucumber has a slight curve to it or a zucchini has a slight curve, should we throw it in the trash? Because you cannot fit 12 of them exactly in the box. You know what I mean? This is yep. what they do. Yes, this is what they do specifically, and it is ridiculous. Yeah. This is they could feed people. It's a complete disrespect for nature. 
Uh, and it just goes to show you also how disconnected they are from uh, from nature. So not only do they leave the food to rot, but they destroy with the chemicals and all that. And I have nothing against them, by the way. But if they want to survive in the future world of farming that people like me and you are trying to build, they will need to get a little nicer with Mother Nature. That's true. That's true. That concludes part one of our interview with the plant charmer. I'll be posting part two in the near future. Please share this podcast with others and rate us on iTunes. It really helps us grow and continue to produce quality content. In the meantime, continue to learn, do, and grow. We'll see you soon.